The views, opinions, and findings contained in this podcast are those of the host and subject matter experts. They should not be construed as official Department of Defense positions, policies, or decisions unless designated by other official documentation. Hi, and welcome to Clinical Updates in Brain Injury Science Today, or CUBIST, a podcast for healthcare providers about current research on traumatic brain injury, also known as TBI. This program is produced by the TBI Center of Excellence, or TBI-COE. I'm your host today, Amanda Gano. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Donald Marion, a neurosurgeon and TBI subject matter expert at TBI-COE. Don and I will discuss a study entitled Effects of Physical Exertion on Early Changes in Blood-Based Brain Biomarkers, Implications for the Acute Point-of-Care Diagnosis of Concussion by Dr. Jeffrey Bazarian and colleagues and published in the Journal of Neurotrauma in October 2022. Additionally, we're really pleased to welcome the first author of this paper, Dr. Bazarian, on the podcast today to discuss these findings. So hi, Dr. Bazarian, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks, Amanda. I'm glad to be here with you. So just before we get into the paper, could you explain a little bit about why you and your team decided to investigate the impact of physical exertion on TBI blood biomarkers? Sure. Several years ago, the FDA cleared two brain biomarkers, GFAP and UCHL1, for the management of mild traumatic brain injury or concussion. But it was clear to be used as a pre-head CT screen, you know, within 12 to 24 hours of injury. So not really as a diagnostic, but many of us in the field saw it heading in the direction of diagnosis. And then even more recently, within the last year or two, a point-of-care test device measuring these two proteins was cleared by the FDA. So this point-of-care test device and the potential for these markers to be used acutely makes real the possibility that people are going to want to use these markers in an acute setting, such as a sporting event or in a combat situation. And both of those circumstances involve people that are exerting themselves. And we knew from other studies with S100B and brain-derived neurotrophic factor that exercise can elevate brain proteins in the absence of brain injury. And what we wanted to know was, is that also happening with GFAP and UCHL1? Yeah, that's really, really interesting and good research questions. So we'll go ahead and get into the paper a little bit. Don, could you explain a little bit about this study and how it's done? Sure. So as Jeff said, the goal of the study was to determine the acute effects of physical exertion on GFAP and UCHL1, as well as two additional widely researched biomarkers, tau protein and neurofilament light chain, among a cohort of collegiate football players in which each football player served as their own control. Jeff and his team also examined which aspects of physical exertion drive post-exertional biomarker increases and the extent to which biomarker increases reflect changes in brain white matter integrity as measured with diffusion tensor imaging. They conducted a prospective observational study of 30 collegiate football players before and after a single team workout session during the non-competitive spring season. Blood was collected immediately before and at two time points after the session, immediately and at 45 minutes post-exertion. DTI scanning was performed 24 hours before and 48 hours after the workout session in a subgroup of these subjects. All subjects wore a body-mounted sensor to measure several aspects of physical exertion during the workout session. Subjects were excluded if they were diagnosed with a concussion within the month prior to study activities. The exertional protocol 
consisted of a mix of aerobic and resistance training, lasting an average of 94 minutes and expending approximately 212 kilocalories on average. Athletes were instructed to perform a fixed series of exercises from a comprehensive list that included hopping, running, box jumps, dumbbell work, and weighted and unweighted crunches. None of the activities included contact with other football players. Workout sessions occurred in six groups of five subjects approximately three months after the last football game of the fall season. In order to capture the intensity and duration of the physical exertion, as I mentioned, each subject was outfitted with a player tech wearable GPS tracker over the upper back. This device is composed of a global positioning global navigation satellite system, a triaxial accelerometer, a gyroscope, and a triaxial magnetometer to track player movement and the intensity of physical exertion. These sensors allowed the investigators to determine the total duration of exertion, distance traveled, and energy expenditure in kilocalories. Blood samples were collected immediately prior to the workout sessions, immediately following the workout sessions, and at 45 minutes after the sessions. Serum levels of NFL, tau, UCHL1, and GFAP were measured using a magnetic bead-based digital enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, or ELISA. 15 of the 30 participating subjects were selected at random to undergo DTI neuroimaging 24 hours before and 48 hours after the workout session. That's all really interesting. And what did they find, Don? So Amanda, relative to pre-exertion, there was a 28% decrease in serum GFAP immediately following exertion. It returned to baseline levels by 45 minutes. The authors cited other studies that suggest that the immediate post-exertional decrease in GFAP might be due to exercise-induced increases in cortisol, which suppresses astrocyte activation. 45 minutes later, when cortisol levels have returned to pre-exertional baseline, so does GFAP. Immediately after exertion, there was no significant change in UCHL1, but there was a 37% increase by 45 minutes after exertion. There was a small but statistically non-significant increase in NFL 45 minutes after exertion. There was non-significant increases in the mean tau values at both time points. Serum biomarker changes had a significant positive correlation with exercise duration, but not distance traveled or kilocalories of energy expended. Regarding the pre- and post-exertional DTI studies, Amanda, there were no significant differences in fractional anisotropy or mean diffusivity values in general, and no significant correlations with biomarker changes. In other words, there were no detectable white matter changes associated with exertion or with biomarkers, making it very unlikely that the biomarker changes they observed were due to damage to the white matter. Thanks for that overview, Don. Dr. Bazarian, could you talk a little bit about the implications of these results and how it might impact devices like the Abbott iStatalinity that you alluded to earlier? Sure. So you can imagine a device like the iStatalinity being used to look at brain markers acutely after a suspicious hit or exposure to blast. And our results suggest that we're going to need to take into account the period of time since the last exertion when we're interpreting the results of these tests. So for example, if you're going to use UCHL1 to try to figure out whether a suspicious hit or a blast may have caused brain injury, you're going to need to look at it 
immediately after the exertion that was associated with that hit to avoid the confounding effects of the exertion-related increase that you see at 45 minutes. GFAP is a little different. With GFAP, you actually need to wait to 45 minutes to measure it to avoid the kind of confounding effects that exertion has on decreasing the levels. So if you were to look at GFAP immediately, the levels may actually be misleading in that it could be abnormally low. So you could get like a false negative reading. So with GFAP, you'd need to wait to 45 minutes. Now, there is a possibility because there was a relationship of these marker changes to the duration of exertion that you could kind of mathematically adjust the marker levels to use them at these other time points. But that's kind of a theory that needs to be tested. Got it. That all makes sense. Can you also just comment a little bit on how the blood samples were taken? Because I know in your study, you guys used capillary whole blood initially using a finger stick. And I think one of the criticisms of the I-statinalinity, especially from the military community, is that there needs to be a lab, like it's a plasma biomarker system. I know that that limits its capabilities in more of like a combat environment. So could you comment about how your team took those samples? Sure. We collected capillary whole blood, finger stick blood, mostly for practical reasons. You have five or six football players coming in that all need to have their blood checked. It Venipuncture takes too long. But we spun the samples down to serum and then measured the protein values in serum. But it's similar fluids that are being used. But I think the alinity is being developed to look at capillary whole blood. But again, we didn't use the whole blood. We used the serum fraction to look at our marker values. Got it. Thanks for clarifying that. Okay, so Don, what were some of the limitations of this study? Sure, Amanda. Well, the most obvious is that women were not included in the study because it was a study of collegiate football players. There is a possibility that exertion-related biomarker increases are in part due to subclinical brain trauma experienced during the previous season. Prior studies suggest that a single season of contact sports can elevate biomarker levels and that these levels may remain elevated even into the off-season. However, by focusing on subject-specific changes rather than group averages, I think Dr. Bazarian and his team were able to isolate the effect of physical exertion on brain biomarker levels. Similarly, a prior history of concussion could have potentially affected baseline DTI values. However, analyzing subject-specific changes in FA and MD rather than group measures of central tendency minimizes the confounding effect of brain white matter changes that occurred prior to the study. Finally, the investigators did not collect information on the use of energy supplements, some of which could potentially have impacted peri-exertional GFAP concentrations. Got it. Thank you. So what do you think are the key takeaways here? So Amanda, I think this is a very carefully done study in a well-defined cohort that makes it very clear that TBI is not the only thing that can change or can cause changes in serum levels of GFAP and UCHL1, which are, as you're well aware, the two most popular TBI biomarkers that are closest to clinical application in the military. This study encourages providers to keep in mind that vigorous activity, as might occur during combat, may be the reason for an elevation of UCHL1 and not the TBI. Thanks, Don. Dr. Bazarian, do you have any final thoughts or key takeaways from this study? I agree with what Don just said, and I would love your listeners to look out for our follow-up study, which will involve these same 30 players and looking at biomarker values adjusted for exertion to see how well they correlate with head-hit exposure 
and changes in white matter. And we actually will demonstrate that um, there's a really good correlation with both of those, which would mean these markers could be very, very useful in situations involving head hits where it's not clear whether there was a brain injury based on clinical symptoms. We'll definitely be looking out for that. Dr. Zarian, thank you so much for joining us today. That's all that we have time for. You can stay up to date on future episodes by subscribing to Cubist on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, where you can also find links to the articles we discuss and other relevant resources. Cubist is produced and edited by Vinnie White and was hosted today by me, Amanda Gano. It is a product of the Traumatic Brain Injury Center of Excellence, a branch of the Research Portfolio Management Division under the Research and Engineering Directorate of the Defense Health Agency, led by Branch Chief Captain Scott Coda, Medical Corps, United States Navy. Thank you for listening to this episode.